0: Tonight, um, I am going to be preaching from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. So that is our sermon text, so please hear the word of the Lord. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I ask that you would speak clearly through me. And as Ethan said, that the things that are true, that we would all hold fast to. And I ask you would guard me from error, that I would say nothing that is untrue tonight. And if I do, that we would all forget it. Please grant me to be faithful to your word and grant your people to be faithful to it as well. I ask this in Jesus' name and amen. amen. What is the most offensive doctrine that Christians believe? Just think about that for a sec. What's the most offensive doctrine that Christians believe? And I mean like Bible-believing Christians. Is it that God believes spoke the world into existence. Genesis 1, that evolution is a total lie. Maybe it's that God created male and female, just two genders. That's it. Maybe it's that God disapproves of and calls homosexuality an abomination, that he actually destroyed an entire city, Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities, for practicing sodomy. Maybe you find it offensive that God would command Israel, his chosen people, to execute divine judgment on other nations, that he would actually displace a bunch of other people. You ever heard of the Canaanites? God said, Y'all are out of here, my people are moving in. Maybe you find it offensive that God commanded Joshua. To go and conquer 31 kings, or that he commanded King Saul to utterly wipe out the Amalekites. Maybe you think Christianity is a bloodthirsty, kind of crazy religion. Or maybe you just can't get down with the morality and ethics of the Bible, right? One of our commands is no sleeping around, no adultery. No sex before marriage. And then when you are married, the wife has to submit to her husband and the husband has to love his wife. And just one, one husband, one wife. Maybe you just can't get down with the ethics in the Bible. It all seems so old-fashioned to our modern ears. Occasionally, um, you know, people will uh, hear what Christians believe and they'll say, you know, it's 2019 after all. As if That's an argument, right? As if God said, "Uh, it is 2019. I'm going to change my moral law. So maybe the most offensive doctrine that Christians believe is actually our doctrine of God, that he is the creator, that he's all-powerful, all-knowing. He knows everything. He's ever-present, transcendent, the creator and Lord of all. Maybe you find it offensive that someone else has a claim on you and you don't like anyone telling you how to live your life. Maybe you find this God oppressive. What is the most offensive doctrine that Christians believe? Doubtless, you could come up with many others. Uh, When I was in college, I graduated from uh, the University of Washington in uh, 2012, and at the time, you think about this, um, same-sex marriage was a big debate, and Obergefell Um, had not happened yet. Who knows what year uh, the Obergefell Supreme Court case happened? Hannah? 2015. 2015. So think about this. When I was a freshman, are there any freshmen in here? A few, yeah. So when I was a freshman, Barack Obama was actually opposed to same-sex marriage. Can you believe that? How quickly the times have changed. It was actually illegal in all 50 states, uh, Obergefell made it legal in all 50 states, and that wasn't until 2015, three years after I got out of college. And at that time, so you imagine I'm a Christian um, in Seattle, pretty liberal city if you've ever been there, and people would come up to me and they'd say, do you really believe that God sends people to hell for being gay? Right? And what are they trying to do? We all know what they're trying to do. They're trying to shame you into silence, right? They're trying to make you squirm and go, I I don't, I mean, it's what the Bible says, I don't really like it, but Christians are really loving, I mean, I love you, right? We fall all over ourselves. (laughs) Well, I thought about how I would answer that question, because I worked in in a restaurant in the university district. I was like the only Christian there, mostly um, unbelievers or all unbelievers. And so I'd get into these conversations with them, and I thought, how am I going to answer that question when it comes up? Especially because I have a bunch of, you know, gay coworkers. And so I I thought, all right, what I'm going to do is actually uh, flip it on them a little bit. So I would say something like this. Um, I actually believe something far more offensive than that God sends people to hell for being gay. Um, I actually believe that damnation is the birthright of every person, of every son and daughter of Adam, that not by virtue of being gay does God send people to hell, but by virtue of being born in sin. You think, oh, that kind of changes things when you think about it like that. And I, and I would say, well, but here's actually the real offensive thing. That's actually not offensive. The real offensive thing is that God actually saves those people and he's letting them into heaven. Can you believe that? The offense of the gospel is that God actually saves people who don't deserve anything but death. So if you really want to, you know, protest, march for justice, you're for equality and fairness, well then, that's what you should be offended by that these wicked people are not being punished. God is actually forgiving them and letting them into his kingdom. That's the most offensive doctrine that Christians believe. The Bible calls Jesus, in 1 Peter 2, 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. It says that Jesus, the gracious God, is offensive to those who do not believe, whereas those who believe in him, the immovable rock, build their life on him. So I have to ask you, which person are you today? Are you offended by Jesus and his words? Are you offended by the doctrines found in this book? Or do you love them and embrace them? Because yes, Christians believe many, Offensive things, but don't get it twisted. The most offensive thing that we believe is this doctrine called grace. So that's what I want to unpack tonight. Um, maybe you saw on the front of the uh, bulletin or online, the sermon title this evening is Religion of Grace Why Christianity Will Conquer the World. Religion of Grace Why Christianity Will Conquer the World. And I chose that title because most people don't put the words grace and conquer. In the same sentence, conquer I, the world, it sounds kind of, I don't know, militant, kind of warlike. Whereas, Grace, on the other hand, sounds kind of, I don't know, sweet, right? I know girls named Grace. I have a little sister in law named Grace Ann who's like the sweetest girl you've ever met, right? Grace is, the, I don't know any guys named Grace, but. <laughs> Maybe gr- guys named Conquer. That's, I think that'd be a cool name for a son, <laughs> Dave. There's also another uh, juxtaposition in the sermon title, and that is the word religion alongside the word Christianity. It's popular to say that Christianity is not a religion, it's a... Religion. See, you guys, you guys have been catechized. You know the answer, right? And I I think this is a, it's a well-meaning, but I think misguided way of framing Christianity, because, of course, being a Christian includes having a personal relationship with God, but that relationship includes connecting you to something much bigger than yourself, to the church, to the covenant people of God, to the kingdom of God. And you know what? In that kingdom, there's a king, and that king, he has laws. You know what the definition of religion is? You know, the basic... Definition in the dictionary. It's just like a system of faith and worship. And so uh, we should just own this, people. Christianity is the one true religion, it is the one true system of faith and worship. We believe in the one true God. So we are Christians, and this religion is going to conquer the world by grace. So, what I want to do um, in, in the rest of this sermon is just give you two reasons why I think grace is so offensive. Why is grace so offensive? So first let me start with a definition of grace for those of you who may not know. And this is kind of my uh, definition pulling from uh, the entire Bible down into a, a nice little sentence, but especially Ephesians 2, our text. So here's my definition. Grace is a free gift that you do not deserve and cannot earn. Okay? Grace is a free gift that you do not deserve and cannot earn. All right, here comes the first reason that it's so offensive and it's embedded in the definition. Grace is offensive because you don't deserve it. I said earlier that every person here is born in sin and deserves to die, right? Born in sin and deserves to die. How do I know this? Well, first, this is what the Bible teaches from beginning to end. It says in Genesis 6-5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Psalm 51.5 says, behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Maybe you say, Aaron, I don't believe the Bible. Well, if you listen to rap music, listen to a prophet of your own. This is Biggie or J. Cole. I'm a born sinner, the opposite of a, of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner. Does anyone know Juicy, right? Born, sinner, opposite of a winner. Okay, you guys don't know that. I'm, d- I'm dating myself now. But listen to a prophet of your own. Or just live long enough. Or just read a history book, right? Or, I don't know, just run that little experiment where they, where they say, you know, imagine if all of your thoughts got, you know, projected on the screen and we're all like, I'm not actually preaching tonight. We're going to learn about what's in your mind. Would you be really excited about that? (laughs) I wouldn't. If you've ever felt guilt before, maybe you're not a Christian, but you felt guilt before, why is that? Well, Scripture says that. God has actually given you a conscience. You are made in God's image and have some general sense of right and wrong. And when you violate God's law, you have this general sense of, Ugh, I feel kind of dirty inside, guilty, right? Even the world has some sense of this, and that's because they have a conscience. So whether that's Biggie or the Bible or your conscience, all of, the, all of these things testify that none is righteous no, not one. We have all fallen short of God's glory. We've all broken his commandment. So when Jesus comes along, and uh, I believe it's Luke 18, and he says, there is none good but God alone, he's looking at you. Right? He's saying, you are not good, just God. He says, a father who loves his son, and, you know, he wouldn't give him a stone, he'd give him a piece of bread. He said, even you fathers who are evil do that. Right? None is good, but God alone alone so you see grace by definition is an indictment of your character grace by definition is taking shots at you it's telling you you're wicked Jesus puts it this way in Mark 2:17. he says I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick so we all get this I don't think you go to the doctor to get medicine when your body's all good, right? You go there when there's something wrong. And our text, Ephesians 2, actually takes it a step further. It says we are all dead, not just sick. We're dead in trespasses and sin. And we need a new heart. We need to be actually made alive, resuscitated, given new life. God wouldn't need to give you new life if you weren't dead, so will you just own it? You're dead. Apart from Christ, you're dead in sin. So grace is this gift of life, and this is the first reason why people hate grace, because it tells them they're evil, right? And we like don't like getting our feelings hurt, right? We don't like when people tell us we're bad. We don't like that, but this is what grace does. Well, that's not all that grace does. It does something more. Number two, Here's the second reason why grace is offensive. It's offensive because you cannot earn it. See how I'm just pulling these right out of the the definition? Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, how, How many of you guys have a job right now? Okay, most of you. It's hard going to school and working a job, and perhaps paying your tuition, or you're just going into a lot of debt right now. Sorry. (laughs) Have you ever worked a job that, and this is almost certain for this group, have you ever worked a job that just did not pay very well? Yeah? A job where all the time and energy that you were putting in, and then you got your paycheck, and you're like, This is not worth it. I'm putting in my two weeks, right? Has anyone ever been in that position before? Well, just as your conscience gives you some sense of right and wrong, we all also have a general sense of justice. Let's say I hired you to build a house for me. (laughs) This would be nice if I, I could afford to pay one of you to just build me a house, right? Maybe down the road one day, so I hire you to build, build me a house, it's all good, um, and you did excellent work. It got done ahead of schedule, which is totally unheard of. The craftsmanship was top-notch, right? They, uh, the, those uh, home shows on Netflix want to come and film it, they, they want to look at it, it's so good. So you do this, this work for me, and then I refuse to pay you. How would you like that? <laughs> now, you're thinking I'm going to sue you immediately, right? But, but just think, how would you feel? You would feel like I'm an unjust man, like I'm an evil man. It'd probably be pretty upset at me. I mean, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars that you're out now because I didn't pay you. Now, let's say I still hadn't paid you. What is it, August right now? Yeah. And you didn't sue me because you're a nice guy. And Christmas comes around. Right? It's just a few months from now. And I decide, you know, I have a, a change of heart and I think, you know what, for Christmas, I'm going to give you the gift of what I owed you for building my house. And so I write the check. Let's say it's, you know, $500,000. It's a really nice house. <laughs> yeah, it's a really nice house. <laughs> this is this hypothetical house. And, and, and I, I write this check for you. The money's in the bank. It's good. I get one of those nice Christmas cards and I send it to you and you, you receive it on Christmas Day. Now, I write a little note in it, dear so-and-so, thank you for building my house. Here is my gift to you, just because I love you. Now, is that really a gift? No, right? (laughs) You'd probably be like relieved that you got the money, but you'd also be like, this guy. (laughs) This guy, my goodness. We all know a gift is something we receive above and beyond what we've worked for. Now, let's take that same scenario again. Let's say I hire you, you build the house, I pay you on time, and we're all square. And then Christmas time comes around, and I think, ah, you know what, I've got some extra money, and I would just like to bless you with, you know, a Christmas bonus. Nothing to do with your job, just I like you, I love you, and I'd love you for you to, you know, take your kids to Disneyland or something. So I write you a big fat check again. That is a gift, right? That is grace. And the problem is our hearts are so sinful that we actually feel entitled to God's gifts. We think we have worked so hard that we deserve not only our wages, but also a Christmas bonus. And this is how many people, especially professing Christians even, treat the grace of God. We treat salvation as if it's something that we are owed. Or at least we think everyone deserves a chance to be saved. Everyone deserves an opportunity to choose Jesus. And what we have done, whether we have realized this or not, is we've actually turned grace into wages and therefore nullified grace. As someone once said, I sin, God has to forgive me. That's his job. We think that God owes us forgiveness. As if that's actually our birthright, not death. Our birthright is, I don't know, heaven. We all think we're going to go to a better place when we die. Well, where does that come from? We feel entitled to God's grace. And so how does God deal with this? What God does in order to highlight the graciousness of his grace is elect some for salvation while passing over others and leaving them to his righteous wrath. This doctrine of grace is perhaps the most offensive doctrine in Scripture, and it is most clearly taught in Ephesians 1 and Romans 9 to 11. Let me just read you a portion um, of Romans 9 verses 15 to 24 says, for he says to Moses, God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have the right uh, does not the potter have power over the clay, from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor what if god what if god wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory when i was your age i read this passage And I was a baptized person who went to church my whole life, a Christian. And I read this passage, and it absolutely wrecked me. And I thought, I've been a Christian my whole life. Why have I never really read this or really understood? Because I'm reading it, and I'm going, wait, but how can he still find fault? And and I'm like, oh, no, but he's, he's anticipating my objections. And what happened was I probably spent six months crying every day, throwing my Bible, just like asking other people I knew, is this really what the scriptures teach? And it just totally consumed me because what this meant is that God saved me without me doing anything. Not by works, lest Aaron should boast. It means that God, just by his hand, grabbed me out of darkness and brought me into his marvelous light. And suddenly I was like, what else am I missing in here? And just, this grace, this doctrine of grace, if you can get this in your bones, if you will be humble enough to let it humble you. It'll change your whole life because it means that all the promises of God for you contained in this book are sure that the absolutely sovereign God who created you is actually working all things together for your good, right? You know that verse, Romans eight twenty eight. The only way that God can work everything for your good is if he is totally sovereign. And if you are his child, if he has predestined you for glory, if he has elected you unto salvation, if he has chosen to show mercy to you, man, if God is for you, who can be against you? Who can be against you? The culture, the world, your parents, your roommate, your professor? Grace is offensive. But grace, that's what we sing about, right? We sing amazing grace. But do you really understand what you're singing about? Do you really understand how gracious grace is? There you were. Think of, think of uh, Saul, the Apostle Paul. He's on the road to Damascus. He wasn't searching for answers. The dude was going to kill Christians. And how did God save him? Boom. Jesus shows up. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Knocks him down, blinds him. Where where in there did Saul have a change of heart? No, God did that. And that's how God saves every single person. By the preaching of the gospel, by the word of Christ. He just changes hearts. He just raises the dead. A dead person can't raise themselves. You know that. This is the offense of grace. And if you're a Christian in here, this is the heart of the gospel. This is the message that will transform the world. This is how Christianity conquers the world, by grace. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't need armies. We don't need to nuke other nations to take over. We have a message. We have a word. We have foolish preachers like me who come up and say these things to you. And God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, working through His word, raises the dead. Do you believe that?? So now comes time for you to decide. God is totally sovereign, and you are still totally responsible for your actions. And so I have to ask you, how are you going to respond? to God. I said God doesn't owe this gospel message to anybody, right? What about the people who have not heard? This is a privilege that God has given uh, the gospel to you. So I plead with you, don't harden your heart today. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, turn to him. If you would say to me tonight, Aaron, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve to die. Then Jesus would say, I came for you. Grace is for you. Jesus came to live and die and came back for sinners. Romans 10 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Blessed are those who are not offended by this gospel, and may God save the U of I. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have saved me, and I thank you that you have saved so many in this room, and I ask that your grace would, right now, save many more. God, on this first uh, meeting here at CRF on the U of I, I ask that... uh, you would gather many more to yourself, that you, you would use this little group of students to change this campus, to change this city, to be a part of you going and conquering in the world. I ask that you would give us courage and boldness to believe and to speak these things to those who have not heard. I ask this in Jesus' name, and amen.